Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and uh, Summer. Summer is traveling. It's just me today, and we're going to continuing our uh, coverage and discussion about what's happening in uh, Palestine and uh, the war on Gaza, which uh, many people are calling a genocide. It's not a war. And because there's no two sides really fighting, it's just one side that has all the weapons um, and bombarding uh, these folks, uh, people, innocent people, civilians that are trapped in Gaza. I'm now joined by um, journalist Leila Larian, who is the executive producer of a show, documentary show on Al Jazeera called Fault Lines. And she's joining us from Washington, D.C. Welcome to True Talk, Leila. Thank you, Ahmed, for having me. should also say that uh, Leila is a um, is from Florida, from Tampa, grew up here before uh, moving away uh, to college and then to her career. Uh, how long have you been at Al Jazeera, Leila? I've been at Al Jazeera English since 2008. So with Al Jazeera English, um, obviously uh, Al Jazeera is the only broadcaster that's broadcasting live out of Gaza. Um, recently, the Israeli government has um, ordered uh, shutting down the Al Jazeera Bureau there uh, using some sort of executive order in that country. And um, just yesterday, we heard Axios was reporting that Secretary of State Blinken, who's the Secretary, Secretary of State of, in the Biden administration, asked uh, the Prime Minister of Qatar to tone down the Al Jazeera coverage of the Gaza war. Um, did you hear about that? And what's your reaction? I did hear about that. And my reaction was rather than tell Israel to tone down its harassment of Al Jazeera, to stop threatening to shut it down and to stop killing journalists, at least 20 journalists, uh, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, have been killed in Gaza since the beginning of Israel's brutal air campaign against the people of Gaza. And it really made me question what side of press freedom is he on uh, to, to sort of use all of this energy and effort to try to shut down a, a news organization or at least not shut down, but but um, influence its coverage, um, a coverage that is professional, um, that's important, that's vital to giving us a picture of what's actually happening on the ground. We know that Israel does not allow journalists into Gaza, so it's extremely important to have the journalists who are there able to do their jobs, to make sure they're protected and not targeted. And, um, you know, we know that Secretary of State Blinken is extremely pro-Israel, extremely biased towards Israel. In fact, when uh, whenever he talks about the loss of life, he uh, is very sensitive to the loss of Israeli lives and is extremely um, callous and, and practically, you know, says nothing about the loss of Palestinian lives. All he talks about is Hamas. So we know he's very pro-Israel. What I didn't realize was that he was going to come down on the side of sort of suppressing journalism as, as, as opposed to the side of press freedom. And, and that's been extremely disheartening and disappointing. Yesterday, um, there was this horrific news that Al Jazeera bureau chief in Gaza, Al Jazeera Gaza bureau chief and journalist Wael Al Dadud learned while he was live on air uh, that his uh, entire family was killed in an airstrike while on air and you know, Al Jazeera broadcast the images uh, and his reaction. Uh, what was your reaction when you heard that news? 
horrific. I cried. Um, I was just messaging with Wa'ed last week because uh, another reporter asked me for help reaching one of the people that Wa'ed had interviewed. And given all of his responsibilities, not only covering the horrors of what's happening in Gaza, but also trying himself to survive, trying to have his family survive, he, he got back to me and he was very helpful. I mean, he immediately got back to me. This is a person who's extremely professional, who's extremely devoted to his work, who um, he and his family actually heeded Israel, the Israeli military's call to move. So, you know, all of these obnoxious racist people on Twitter are like, well, why didn't he move his family? Why didn't he protect them? He actually did exactly what he, he was asked. He moved them to a refugee camp and they were killed anyway. His wife was killed. His son, who was 15 years old, who wanted to follow his father's footsteps, as well as... Um, I believe his 60-year-old daughter, who there's these harrowing photos of him carrying his daughter uh, as she's wrapped in, in a white cloth uh, after she was killed, as well as a grandchild of his, I believe. So four of his family members were killed. And given all of um, Israel's threats against Al Jazeera, I wouldn't be surprised if his family was actually targeted as a way of trying to target him, as a way to silence him and his incredibly important journalism and as a way to break him and break his spirits. A day after his family was brutally killed in this way, Wa'il was back on the air reporting and continuing to tell the story of what's happening to the people of Gaza, which is really a testament to his devotion, to his strength, um, to his character. Uh, Wa'il is not the first Al Jazeera journalist to be, uh, or, you know, or families of journalists targeted um, by Israel. It was just last year that uh, Shireen Abu Akla, another Palestinian, was targeted, and she was in the West Bank. That's right. And this comes after, you know, years of harassment of Al Jazeera by the state of Israel. We we saw that Al Jazeera's reporter, uh, Shireen's colleague, Jovera Al-Budeiri, was arrested and assaulted by Israeli troops while doing her job. The Al Jazeera building that also housed uh, the Associated Press in Gaza was bombed. In 2021, um, that entire building was destroyed and it housed several media offices. So you see this pattern by Israel of uh, intimidating journalists, of killing them. In the case of Shireen, she was, I'm sure your listeners know her story, but if they don't, she was visibly um, identifiable as a journalist. She was wearing a press jacket that had the, the huge words press on it, a blue jacket with a blue helmet. And she was actually targeted by a sniper who shot her in the area behind her ear, That the only area that was exposed between her helmet and her jacket. So it's very clear that she was targeted and that her killing was meant to intimidate Palestinian journalists and silence them. And of course, we saw after her killing, Israel try to blame uh, Palestinians for her death, saying a Palestinian gunman actually killed her. Of course, they were immediately caught in the lie. The Israeli human rights group, Beit Salem, actually sent out their own field uh, investigators, field researchers, to show that this video that Israel had released in the aftermath of her death was actually a total lie and fabrication, that there were no um, Israelis, uh, there were no Palestinian fighters anywhere near the vicinity of where Shireen was. And then they said, oh, well, she was killed in crossfire. Again, no evidence of crossfire. In fact, Videos from that morning show that there was no crossfire. It was actually a quiet morning. People were joking and laughing right before her killing. So um, what numerous investigations showed is that it was quiet and Shireen was targeted. 
And anyone who came within the line of sight of that sniper was also shot at. And it took all of these investigations from the Washington Post, the New York Times, Bellingcat, Beit Salem, the United Nations, CNN, one investigation after another uh, to show that, in fact, it was Israel's only then that they were finally forced to admit. And they finally said, well, maybe one of our soldiers likely shot her, but it was unintentional. And of course, as we see time and again with Israel, the U.S., basically backed up Israel in its so-called investigation, an investigation that, by the way, didn't include any interviews with eyewitnesses that was not transparent. And we're told uh, nothing happened to the soldier who shot Shireen. Uh, He was cleared. And what this tells you is that this is possibly the most investigated killing of any Palestinian in history. Mm -hmm. And no one faced any accountability for that. What does that tell you about killings of other Palestinians? Also, I should mention Shireen was a U.S. citizen. So there was a lot more attention put on her shooting than on uh, killings of other Palestinians. And even then, we see no justice. We see no accountability. And Shireen Abakla was also Christian. And in fact, um, your show, Fault Lines, on Al Jazeera did a um, documentary on this called The Killing of Shireen Abakla. And um, as you said... And a lot of people have brought attention to the fact that uh, in the initial, for the initial weeks, uh, Israel denied any part of it. In fact, blamed that you know the killing on Palestinians themselves. Um, very much like when we saw last week with the bombing and the airstrike on Al Ahli um, Baptist or Al Ahli Baptist Church uh, Hospital, where uh, some 500 civilians were killed, and right away. Israel said that this was, uh, you know, some misfire from uh, Palestinian militants blaming it on the Palestinians. And somehow the United States and the international media, many of them are uh, buying this line. Is it, you, is it kind of deja vu? Is it reminding you of how they denied what happened to Shirin Abakla? Absolutely. I mean, we know the Israeli military has a playbook that they go by whenever anything happens that could paint them in a bad light in the international community. Uh, they they immediately deny, they obfuscate, they muddy the waters with information that's completely irrelevant. They blame it on the Palestinians. You know, it's only when they're really, um, their back is to the wall and they're confronted with irrefutable evidence that they finally admit it. But um, we know that, yeah, the Israeli military has a long history of lying directly to the press and misleading them. We know that in their uh, 2021 invasion of Gaza, they actually held a press, uh, you know, they gathered some journalists and told them that they were planning a ground invasion into Gaza. Uh, they later admitted that they lied to the journalists, that they were using the media to basically drive fighters underground in the tunnels so that they could bomb them from the air. Um, so, and this is something they admitted to. I mean, it's been written about. Uh, if people don't believe me, Google it. Of course, uh, all of the lies uh, that they, you know, were exposed uh, in, in relation to Shireen's killing. And there were numerous other examples in which they were found to have doctored videos um, of, of Palestinians that they killed and, and tried to say, you know, that they died under other circumstances. So uh, what I would say is that journalists really need to do their own due diligence when it comes to claims by the Israeli military, report them out yourself rather than just regurgitating what the Israeli military says time and again. Do your job as a journalist, talk to eyewitnesses, get forensic evidence, whatever you need to actually uh, determine whether they're telling the truth or not. Instead, what we see time and again 
is uh, especially the U.S. media, but also the British media and other European um, media or uh, organizations based abroad, is that they kind of just go ahead and regurgitate uh, what the Israeli military says, essentially acting as press secretaries or stenographers, repeating their claims. And then if the claims end up being proven to not be true, that really casts doubt on the independence of journalists, on the veracity of their reporting. And unfortunately, in terms of this hospital attack, even though we've seen it's sort of like common people stop using their common sense. We know that no rockets uh, by Palestinian uh, armed groups have has ever caused that much destruction. Right. You don't see right. their rockets um, killing hundreds of people. So it sort of raises a lot of questions how this is the one time that it killed all these people. And the New York Times actually just came out with a report a couple of days ago saying uh, the the key piece of evidence that both the Israelis and the Americans have been relying on, which is footage of this rocket that was on Al Jazeera English. um, Meaning it was was, was a rocket. uh, It was a rocket that was uh, captured by the live broadcast of Al Jazeera cameras that were in Gaza. And they're pointing to that as evidence, right? So what did the New York That's Times correct. determine? The New York Times determined that that rocket was actually coming from is the direction of Israel. They don't think that's the rocket that hit the hospital, but it does very much raise questions about uh, about this narrative by the Israelis, by the Americans, and you know other groups um, such as Channel Four have raised questions, and as well as Forensic Architecture, which is a very well-respected investigative organization that also raised questions about the Israeli narrative and said most likely it was actually Israeli artillery fire that caused it, as well as a different investigative organization called Earshot, which also raised questions about both. The Israeli, uh, both the sounds that were in the area saying like that couldn't have come from uh, where they're saying, but also this call that the Israeli military supposedly released of two Hamas fighters taking, saying that this rocket was fired by the uh, another group called the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And um, this organization Earshot said, according to their analysis, that phone call does not sound credible that in fact it sounds like two different voices were recorded in two separate places and stitched together uh, in like editing software like Adobe Premiere and that they didn't believe it was authentic, which a lot of sort of experts on the Middle East, on Arabic language and, and Gazan dialect kind of said the same. So my question is, if Israel was very confident that this was a Palestinian rocket, why would they go to the trouble of fabricating this ent- this piece of evidence? Right. And then... But why why are people even focusing on this flashpoint? It's not like this is the only hospital that was hit by Israel. They bombed other hospitals. They bombed mosques. They bombed churches. Um, you know, um, the number now stands at 3,000. 3,000 children have been killed, and the total death toll is 7,000. And that does not include the over 1,000 or 1,500 people that are trapped under rubble or that are dead under the rubble that they can't get to because they cannot unearth them. But there are thousands of people, and the damage is so obvious. Yet yesterday, uh, President Biden, um, President of the United States, said this at a press conference. I want to play it to you and then get your reaction um, uh, on this. So just uh, stand by as I play this now. Here it is. 
Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry says Israeli forces have killed over 6,000 Palestinians, including 2,700 children. You've previously asked Netanyahu to minimize civilian casualties. Do these numbers say to you that he is ignoring that message? What they say to me is I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it's the price of waging a war. I think we should be incredibly careful. I think not we, the Israelis should be incredibly careful to be sure that they're focusing on going after the folks that are the pro propagating this war against Israel. And, uh, and it's against their interest when that doesn't happen. But I have no confidence in the number that the Palestinians are using. I have no confidence. That was President Biden. I have no confidence in the number that the Palestinians are using. Your reaction? This is extremely dangerous and extremely dehumanizing for the president of the United States. Mind you, the president of the United States, when all of this happened, was shown to have misled the media and the public when he claimed to have seen photos of babies that were allegedly beheaded by Hamas fighters. The White House then had to retract the claims saying the president hadn't actually seen any of the photographs, that he spoke off the cuff and it wasn't true. I will tell you that I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for a very long time. I remember during the Trump administration, my industry, the media industry, was obsessed with fact-checking former President Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Whenever he would say anything that was false or misleading, you saw all of these journalists tweeting and fact-checking. Right. Well, President Biden was seen to have misled on the beheaded babies. In fact, there, the Israeli military itself is saying there's no evidence that babies were beheaded. This is a, a lie that was conjured up by... Um, sort of a rogue uh, member of the Israeli military who said this to some journalists. None of it was ever proven to be true. But President Biden repeated it once again. President Biden is repeating Israeli propaganda. This is the latest talking point, which is to raise questions, raise doubts about the death toll of Palestinians uh, from Israel's brutal air assaults. And it's like clockwork being picked up by my peers in the journalism industry, by the president himself, even though the facts are that in multiple previous air assaults in Gaza, whether it was 20, 2008, 2012, 2014, 2021, the numbers that were given by the Palestinian Ministry of Health were shown to be accurate by the United Nations, by human rights group like Human Rights Watch. So this is a non-issue that was turned into a controversy in order to deflect from the true numbers of Palestinian casualties, which are believed to actually be an undercount given, as you mentioned, that so many people are under the rubble, and to provide cover for Israel's numerous war crimes that they're doing right now, things like bombing hospitals, bombing churches, attacking refugee camps, attacking uh, convoys of people that they themselves told to flee, killing children. Um, they know that these are civilians that they're attacking, but they're, uh, as Chris Christie said, their attitude is the Palestinians had it coming. There's a justification of attacking Palestinian civilians, and it's truly horrific. And I'm really disappointed in President Biden, and this is undoubtedly going to affect him in the next election. We know that his poll numbers have suffered because of what's happening. 
Um, right. In fact, they're the lowest within his own party and especially within young people that they've been since the beginning of his presidency. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. And I'm speaking to um, Leila Larian. She's a journalist and executive executive producer of the show Fault Lines on Al Jazeera. And we're speaking about uh, what's happening in Gaza. Hanan Ashrawi, who was on Democracy Now! earlier today, she's a Palestinian leader and formerly with the uh, Palestinian Liberation Organization as a spokesperson during negotiations. She described uh, that she, that uh, Biden and Blinken are now a spokespeople, uh, acting as spokespeople for the Israeli, uh, for the Netanyahu government and for Israel. Um, are you and, and the American media just basically believing everything the, that that they're saying as an American, as a journalist? And are you shocked by this level? I, I don't remember. I, I remember presidents defending and maybe deflecting for Israel before, but not actually repeating their talking points. I don't remember it being this bad. And I lived through the run up to the Iraq war in which, you know, major American outlets were um, helping spread sort of the lies and the false justifications of the Bush administration leading us to war in Iraq, including things like Iraq's fictitious weapons of mass destruction. But this somehow feels even worse than that. And I didn't think anything could be worse than that. You have um, people, you know, both in government and in media spreading unverified sensationalist allegations that are being reported as fact and that are helping shape the narrative. And we know there's real life consequences to this. We saw the horrific killing of the six-year-old Palestinian-American child, Wadi al-Fayoumi, in Chicago, stabbed to death 26 times by his own landlord who'd known him for two years. The little boy went up and hugged him when he saw him. That's how much he trusted this vicious man who ended up killing him. And it turned out that that man was listening to right-wing radio. When you have these um, racist tropes that are completely sensationalistic and unverified being repeated by the president and by uh, multiple members of both parties, elected officials, and by the media, that puts a target on people's back, both here in the U.S. and, of course, abroad. It helps to justify the horrific killings, mass killings of civilians in, in Gaza. Um, you also see wall-to-wall coverage of Israeli deaths, very humanizing pieces that are textured, that are long, that um, are, you know, sort of recounting what happened uh, to these families on October 7th. And you don't see anything, uh, you know, on uh, equivalent on, on the side of the Palestinians or, or focus on the Palestinians. Um, instead, the Palestinians are uh, just referred to in terms of casualty counts. If that, even now, that's being questioned. Um, and that's extremely dangerous and dehumanizing and really just works to justify what's happening to them. You also see, as we've discussed, a reliance on Israeli army talking points, even when it's clear that Israelis have uh, more incentive than ever to not be truthful. You see this framing as a war against Hamas, even as Israeli officials themselves openly talk of punishing the population. Mm. Um and inside Gaza, you obviously see that local journalists are targeted, they're overstretched, they have few resources, and, and none of that is being reported or talked about. Imagine any other country in the world killing as many journalists as Israel has in the last two weeks. We would never hear the end of it. Right, but somehow the media um, in the United States and in the West is justifying a lot of this by saying, well, look what happened on October 7th. 
uh, it's the most barbaric, it's the worst thing. Some of the, I think it was the former, which, by the way, attacks on civilians are horrific. However, let's put things in context. And does it warrant now 3,000 children getting killed? It's somehow as if um, one justifies the other and that these children are less worthy and it's not only Israel that's repeating this, but there's so many people. It's almost like everyone in the media is just defending what Israel is doing and not questioning it whatsoever. It reminds me of the atmosphere post 9-11, how, you know, you're either with us or against us. And you feel like that's the atmosphere, like journalists that even want to question things are too worried because they may lose their jobs or their livelihood or their consequences and repercussions. You know, someone, um, this Palestinian poet and writer, Rami Kanazi, tweeted uh, yesterday something that really sort of brought me to my heels. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. He said, Israel has killed more Palestinian children over the last 18 days than the total number of Israelis killed over the last 25 years. Wow. So it shows you this is this is not an even battle. Including what happened on October 7th. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Including what happened on October 7th. This is not an uh, an even battle. This is not a war. This is one of the most powerful militaries in the world, a nuclear armed nation supported by the most powerful country in the history of the world, the United States, as well as other major powers in Europe, like France and Germany, against a population that is under occupation or, or that has been besieged for the last 16 years, if you're talking about the people of Gaza, that's living under a system that human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have dubbed apartheid. Leaders of apartheid South Africa, like Nelson Mandela and uh, Desmond Tutu, have said the situation of Palestinians is worse than what it was for black South Africans. And yet there seems to be a complete lack of interest and lack of curiosity by my peers in the mainstream media to talk about the horrific violence and the circumstances that led to the attack on October 7th. The violence in the region did not begin on October 7th. But if you were to watch mainstream U.S. coverage, you would think that it all began on October 7th. And I think what that tells you is that they have no interest in covering the loss of Palestinian life. This has been the deadliest year for Palestinians in decades. And yet you did not hear about the killing of Palestinians. You don't hear about violence committed by settlers in the West Bank, the continued theft of Palestinian land, the situation for the Palestinian hostages who are in Israeli prisons. So you hear the Israelis who are uh, captured and kidnapped by Hamas referred to as hostages. Well, if you ask Palestinians, their prisoners who are being held in Israeli prisons are also hostages. Many of them have never been through any kind of court system um, or, or trial or anything like that. Many of them are held in administrative detention. And um, of course, we know that the laws that Israel uses uh, against Palestinians are not the same that they use against their own citizens, which is the definition of apar apartheid. And um, there's, I, I read somewhere, there's been over 1,700 or over 1,500 uh, Palestinians in the West Bank, not in Gaza, in the West Bank, where Hamas is not in control or Hamas doesn't exist, uh, that have been arrested or, you know, uh, detained without charges since October 7th. And this year, there's a you know, record number of Palestinians killed in the West Bank, 
not in Gaza, in the West Bank. No one is launching any rockets. No one is trying to murder anyone. But there's a record number of Palestinians. I forgot the number. I think 250 or 300 Palestinians killed in the West Bank. This year, it's the largest number in some 15 years or so. Um, so it, that that is also not being necessarily reported. They keep mentioning that somehow this is a war to eradicate Gaza, but not mention that, in fact, they're just shooting at what somebody had described before as a, you know, a fish in a barrel. Like, these people can't escape. They can't go anywhere. They're locked up. They're in a big open-air prison. Imagine going into a prison yard and just start shooting people, and uh, there's nowhere to run. Um, is it, I mean, for p- people that understand Palestine or have loved ones there or Palestinian-Americans like yourself— it's so obvious, so clear to the world, but it just, I, I, I can't understand these journalists that are not being just, you know, having the humanity to report the facts that are on the ground because it's not like this is not documented. I, I think this is probably the most documented live genocide that's happening in real time. The cameras are on, people are seeing the images, and then you have someone like President Biden coming on and just saying, well, they tell me the numbers are not correct. Well, you can't know for yourself. What do you mean they're telling you? Um, it's is it is it a type of genocide denial? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this question since since this all began. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually a journalist herself. And you know what she told me? And I think she she was very right about this. But she said, you know, I used to think for years I thought it was ignorance, mm-hmm. but it's not ignorance. It's racism. Mm-hmm. And I think she's absolutely right. I mean, we see a tremendous outpouring of sympathy for um, the Ukrainian people after Russia invaded Ukraine and um, and killed Ukrainians, both fighters and civilians. And we see Ukrainian flags all over the U.S., um, tremendous, like I said, outpouring of sympathy and love and support because of this belief that Ukraine deserves to be free, deserves to be autonomous, deserves to be, deserves to be free of Russian intervention or uh, invasion or occupation or violence. We don't see the same, obviously, extended for Palestinians. And all I could think about is because there's tremendous racism against Palestinians, uh, dehumanization. Um, they're characterized as barbaric, as savage. Uh, it's, it's not dissimilar to the way that, um, you know, the indigenous people of all places, including our own country, the Native Americans, have been characterized. This is a tale as old as time. It's settler colonialism. And um, as, as the late uh, Palestinian-American scholar Edward Said put it, uh, the reason for this dehumanization, the reason for these caricatured images, these hateful racist images, is to make those people vulnerable to military aggression. So it's to justify military aggression against them. And unfortunately, um, you know, journalists in my field are not immune to that. Uh, one of the things that I'm most disappointed about in terms of the overall landscape, of course there's exceptions, but the overall landscape of mainstream media in the U.S. is that they just t- tend to generally blindly adopt whatever U.S. foreign policy postures there are. Um, so it's very rare to see kind of journalists in the U.S. questioning the government, the empire's, you know, mm. choices abroad. And just a quick example to give you, um, there's a CNN's political correspondent, Manu Raju, was chasing down the only Palestinian member of Congress yesterday, Rashida Tlaib, 
harassing her about why she hasn't deleted her tweet blaming Israel for attacking the hospital. Now, we know the New York Times has raised questions about uh, what actually happened at the hospital. And I mentioned forensic architecture as well. Um, so there are still outstanding questions. There hasn't been an independent investigation into what happened uh, at the Al-Ahli hospital. And yet this political reporter is chasing down a woman who's already getting death threats, who's already being harassed by members of both her own party and the Republican Party to say, why haven't you taken down the tweet when he is not going to other members of Congress to ask them, why do you support the killing of Palestinian children? Why aren't you calling for a ceasefire? This is where he's he's punching down rather than speaking truth to power. And that pretty much sums up the state of American journalism. Even right though America, uh, journalism, we have freedom of the press. We don't have state-owned media. But, in, you know, in, they act like state. Like, they act like state media. They don't actually challenge those in power. Unfortunately, they do oftentimes act like stenographers rather than reporting out stories, acting independently and truly challenging those in power. I mean, sometimes they do. But when it comes definitely to wars overseas, just like we saw with the Iraq war, nobody questioned that. Nobody. Que in fact, we uh, know about stories in even the New York Times that were just turned out to be complete lies to basically make way and to, uh, um, you know, to push for war. And, and it turned out to be horribly wrong. Um, what? That's right. And I want to make mm. sure I'm not speaking about all journalism with a broad brush. There's definitely still really good work happening. Um, you know, I've seen some good examples on NPR that's gotten voices out of Gaza. The Washington Post has done some pretty good work. Um, so I don't want to... Um, paint all of American journalism with a, with a broad but, but, brush. But. Right, but even on NPR, which is carried on this same station, they have all these fluff pieces about what's happening, you know, on the, on the Israeli side, which, you know, I don't see that they're in imminent danger right now. They have the Iron Dome. They're not being, you know, there's no starvation. Uh, they have fuel. They have all these amenities and service, and they have bomb shelters. However, you don't get the same stories. Is it because NPR, you know, they don't have access to go into Gaza and no one is able to get in or, or out? Or is it they're just refusing? Or is, there, is it the editors? What is it that they, that whether it's them or other outlets, that they refuse to humanize Palestinian people? That's right. I think a big part of it is that they're not allowed into Gaza. Again, that's by design. The Israeli military is not allowing them in. Um, but I think, like I said, I think a part of it is um, there is tremendous dehumanization or, and, and racism even among members of the media. You know, uh, um, Abby Phillip, uh, who's an anchor on CNN, uh, helped spread. She and Sarah Sidner, another anchor on CNN, both helped spread the debunked uh, beheaded baby story. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when Abby Phillip tweeted, don't look away and tweeted the story. Meanwhile, I haven't seen her tweet a single time about about all of these videos that we're seeing, these horrific videos that will never leave my mind about Palestinian children being killed one after the other. I mean, every day you see a stream of these videos, a stream of these photos they are absolutely heartbreaking. I just saw one yesterday of a little Palestinian girl in Gaza who was just crying for her mom, mama, mama, you know, over and over again in the hospital. And, and, and you, you just knew that her mom was killed. And there's, again, endless stream of these videos. And I've never 
seen her tweet them and say, don't look away. And frankly, the only explanation is that Israeli lives are considered um, far more, um, you know, uh, precious than Palestinian lives. That's just what's clear here. It's um, there is a lot of talk that Israel's plans are to um, basically do another Nekba. This is not even just uh, conspiracy. People within Israel, Israeli officials have said that this is going to even be a bigger Nekba, bigger catastrophe, a um, you know forced displacement of Palestinians out of Gaza, even bigger than um, 1948. Uh, there was this big push to basically push these Palestinians uh, into Egypt. Do you think that that's, you know, I mean, no one knows what their end goal is, but it seems like they're either the Israelis want to shrink the size of Gaza or to push these uh, Palestinians out of Gaza, some into Egypt, but Egypt is refusing to accept them. Uh, Maybe they haven't been paid enough. Uh, What do you think the end goal is? Because definitely rescuing the hostages doesn't seem to be the top priority for the Israelis because hostages' lives are in danger now and uh, whatever you want to call them, hostages, captives. And uh, 20, I think some 20, 22 of them have already been killed because of the Israeli bombardment. So what do you think the end goal of uh, the Israeli government, Netanyahu government is? I don't think they necessarily know what their end goal or their strategy is. I think that's part of the reason that the ground invasion hasn't happened yet. According to reports, uh, the U.S. behind the scenes is telling the Israelis, look, you really need a strategy. You really need an end goal, an objective to your military campaign for your ground invasion. Otherwise, you know, we've learned from our own wars in Iraq and and Afghanistan that if you don't have a clear objective, you can get kind of sucked into this quagmire. Um, Of course, I don't think, unfortunately, that the Biden administration is necessarily concerned about Palestinian lives. I think that much has been made clear over the last two weeks. But I think they're concerned that this is not going to end well for Israel. Um, There is talk that part of the objective, initially at least, was to push uh, over one million Palestinians, at least, uh, into into the Sinai Desert. Uh, this was something that was apparently broached to the Egyptian president, um, who said that he did not agree with that um, for a lot of different reasons. But obviously, politically, um, this did have, uh, you know, it did feel reminiscent to what happened in 1948 to the Palestinian people. They call it the Nakba or the catastrophe. With the creation of the state of Israel, 750,000 Palestinians were forcibly removed um, at the barrel of the gun, uh, you know, removed from their homes and and forced to flee. Those are the ones that weren't killed. Obviously, my great grandfather was one of the people who was killed. And they um, many of them ended up as them and their descendants ended up as refugees all over the world, including in a number of Arab countries. Many of them still live in refugee camps today. Like so Gaza. Obviously there's a, like Ma- Gaza, exactly. Many of the Within people in Gaza-, Gaza now are people who were forced off their land in the rest of Palestine and now were forced because they couldn't go anymore. They would have been in the, you know, in the Mediterranean Sea and they're stuck in Gaza and have been stuck in Gaza now for you know decades and with this blockade, no one can exit or enter since, you know, what, 2007? That's right. As many as 70% of Gaza's population actually came originally from uh, cities and villages that are in now Israel. So 
um, the people of Gaza themselves are a stark reminder of what the creation of Israel meant for the indigenous people of that land, the Palestinian people, and the fact that um, it's been an ongoing Nakba since 1948 to attempt to uh, forcibly remove these people from their land, to take over their land, and to control uh, their lives in every possible aspect, including the number of calories that go into Gaza. So, there's what, what do you mean by that? The number of calories that go into Gaza, because our listeners may not understand that. And by the way, I'm speaking with Leila Larian, a journalist with Al Jazeera. Uh, she's also the executive uh, producer of a show called Fault Lines on Al Jazeera. You can find um, that show on YouTube. Um, yeah, well, what do you mean by controlling or reducing the number of calories that go into Gaza? Well, we know, as you mentioned earlier, that currently no food or water or fuel is being allowed into Gaza. I'm, I'm reading constant reports that people can't even get bread anymore. Bakeries are being bombed. But even before... Yeah, that's um, all after latest. October 7th, where they basically right. are trying to starve them and water cannot even get in there. But you're saying even before that... There was some program. That's right. I mean, it, it, there's this sort of misconception that Israel hasn't been in control of Gaza since it withdrew in 2006. But the truth is that it's always been in control. It controls the boundaries. It controls the airspace. It controls, um, you know, the sea. It controls what's allowed into Gaza, what's allowed out, including how much food is allowed, what building materials are allowed. Um, it controls everything. And that kind of sums it up. Who wants to live under that kind of occupation, under that kind of control? That is not living as a free person. I mean, um, what's the what's the the um, the motto of the state of New Hampshire? Like, live free or die? Right. I mean, Americans, you know, we pride ourselves on our freedom, on our ability to live in the way that we want to live, on our Bill of Rights. Um, anybody who, who cares about about the notion of freedom should support the Palestinian people in their long struggle for freedom. So um, before I know uh, we're running out of time and you have to go uh, also, and um, I wanted to get your take on the Center for Constitutional Rights recently came out with a paper uh, basically describing what's happening right now in Gaza in legal terms as a genocide, that it's considered a genocide. Genocide doesn't just mean that it has to be like a holocaust. There are other forms of genocide, including the genocide that happened in Bosnia in the 90s. And they're describing what's happening now in Gaza as a genocide. And somehow European nations or even the United States specifically that's standing with President, uh, with uh, the Netanyahu government could be considered complicit and legally complicit in the genocide that's taking place there uh, right now. Do you think, uh, are you surprised that media outlets are not necessarily reporting this and are not describing what's happening in Gaza right now as a genocide? I'm not surprised, unfortunately, given the tenor and tone of the coverage overall and how problematic it's been. But I know that uh, a, a scholar of genocide studies was also on Democracy Now! and, and has written about this and also said that this uh, qualifies as a genocide. And if you define a genocide as, you know, the killing uh, uh, members of a group, causing them serious bodily or mentally harm, imposing living conditions intended to destroy the group. And I would argue that cutting off food and water and fuel mm -hmm. <laughs> um, fits under that category. Preventing births. We see that uh, pregnant women in Gaza 
have no place to go to safely deliver. Um, hospitals have run out of anesthesia. Uh, babies who are connected to ICUs are at the risk of dying because of the problems with electricity. Uh, all of that uh, is the definition of genocide. And I think at, at this point, given the sheer numbers of Palestinians who've been killed and the indiscriminate nature of the airstrikes, that that's a fair, uh, fair term to use. But I also am not surprised that the media has absolutely refused to use it because in general, their coverage has been extremely pro-Israel, kind of reflecting the overall um, U.S. policy towards Israel. Finally, before we go, um, what do Palestinians want? And, you know, what message um, do you want to share with our listeners? I think if you ask any Palestinian, they would say they want freedom. They want to be able to live like any other people. They want to be able to raise their children in peace. Um, they want their children to be able to, you know, worry about things that little kids worry about, like not wanting to do their homework or um, going to play on the playground. And instead, you have an entire generation in Gaza that's grown up knowing only war, knowing only terror from the skies in the form of, of Israel's horrific bombing campaigns. And all the Palestinian people want is to be able to have the right to self-determination, just like everybody else, to be free from occupation, free from Israel's land theft, from Israel arresting their men, women, and children and, and locking them up behind bars with no charge or on very flimsy charges. And, you know, Israel is the longest modern occupation of our time, and it has to end. It is illegal. And do you have a message to our listeners? Why should they be concerned or what can they do? Well, you know, one of the things that sort of pro-Israel activists have been tweeting about is like, oh, all of you guys, all you care about is the Palestinians. Why don't you care about what's happening here, there and everywhere? And it's, you know, it's called whataboutism. What about this place? What about that place? You guys are hypocrites. You know, it's a way to sort of deflect from Israel's ongoing war crimes. But the truth of the matter is, is that these are our tax dollars that are going to killing Palestinian men, women and children. Um we are the ones funding this. The U.S. is Israel's strongest supporter. Uh, I think Congress just signed off on billions more dollars to Israel after all of this. And whether we like it or not, we're complicit in what's happening. And we have to care because these, this is our money going there. This is our government uh, giving Israel unconditional support. And our government has leverage over Israel in a way that it doesn't have in other um, other wars, other conflicts, other contexts around the world. So that's why this is a unique situation that does affect us all, that everyone should care about. And of course, from a human rights perspective, this is a catastrophe. Um, you have an entire, entire bloodlines that were wiped out. Um, I believe it was something like 42 families in Gaza just no longer exist, entire bloodlines killed off. And you have children who lost their parents, parents who lost their children. Um, it's horrific. I don't even want to think about the trauma that they've all endured. And I hope just as, as decent human beings that um, people care from that, that respect and that aspect and that they call for an immediate ceasefire so that um, more innocent people don't lose their lives, aren't killed. Leila Larian, um, executive producer of Fault Lines at Al Jazeera. Thank you for joining True Talk, and um, we hope you stay safe. And uh, our prayers for, uh, to you and your loved ones in Palestine. Thank you so much for having me.
That was, uh, as I mentioned, um, Al Jazeera journalist Leila Aryan, who actually grew up in the Tampa Bay area. Um, you know, I was, I'm reminded of, of the horrific things that Israeli officials are saying, what they intend to do, and they're not, they're open about this. By the way, uh, we have a few minutes left, so you can call us at 813-239-9663. 813-239-9663. Maybe you can share your views on what you heard. Um, this is the defense minister of Israel saying there will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything will be uh, banned or closed. We are fighting animal people, and we are acting accordingly. This is Yoav Gallant, defense minister of Israel saying this after October 7th. Benjamin Netanyahu on October 8th said in a televised speech, we will turn Gaza into an island of ruins. And we're watching this happening right in front of our eyes. Um, Israeli army spokesman Daniel Hagari said, quote, we are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. We're dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. These are the words of the Israeli leaders. Uh, and, and we're seeing the destruction happen right in front of our eyes. Ghassan Alian, major general of the Israeli army, said, quote, animal humans will be treated accordingly. We wanted, you wanted hell and you'll get hell. And despite all this, uh, members of Congress and the administration are backing this up. Um, no one, they refuse to call for a ceasefire. This includes even someone like Bernie Sanders, who I admired or admire. Um, I still think he's a good guy, but I'm very disappointed that even him, he is not calling for a ceasefire. I mean, if you're supposed to be the progressive wing the Democratic Party and you're anti-war and you sound just the same as, you know, the Republican side or not the Republican side, but, you know, establishment Democrats. How are you different than Biden when uh, all he asked for or Blinken uh, asking for a humanitarian pause? So far, the entire world, the United Nations Security Council has voted has asked and tried to get a ceasefire in place, but it's the United it's the United States that keeps blocking it using their veto. Um, this the last vote was the United States and Great Britain, the United Kingdom, uh, vetoing and stopping it. So it's the whole world. There was a uh, resolution that was introduced in the United Nations uh, by the U.S. that called for a hum humanitarian pause, not a ceasefire. It called for a humanitarian pause, and for the armed groups in Palestine to stop, to, to do a ceasefire. So it's only a one-sided ceasefire? That doesn't make sense. If you're serious about saving lives, you save the lives of the people that are dying right now in front of your eyes, not later. I'm going to go to um, Jay in Sefner. Jay, you're on True Talk. Go ahead. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I'm just trying to a comment about that. Um, Go ahead. Uh, they're the leadership group of Palestinians, uh, and uh, their primary focus is, and their stated focus is, is to erase all Jews from the face of the earth. 
enough said. Oh, how are they going to do? How are they going to do that? One Palestinian. Jay, 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 think for yourself. How are they going to do that when they're locked up in a prison? All right, excuse me. They're not all locked up in prison. They're they're shooting off the rockets left and right. And how many people have those rockets killed? None, because of their iron dome. Exactly. So it's more uh, just rhetoric, obviously. I mean, it's no, and it's and. Not and but does that justify does that justify does that justify does that justify killing does that justify killing 3000 people 3000 children does that justify killing 3000 children i don't I, I don't know how people justify the murder of children 3000 of them um yeah the events of october 7th uh, is a tragedy and horrific, attacking any civilian. However, you can't use that to justify murdering children, just wholesale, um, and use the excuse, oh, Hamas is... Uh, treat them, if, if you consider them a terrorist organization, treat them like terrorists. doesn't mean you bomb the whole country and kill everyone that's inside. There's a terrorist on the loose in New Hampshire, in the Maine right now, shooting people, right? Do you go bomb his whole neighborhood where he lives? Or do you go find the criminal and bring him to justice? Uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Lucy, uh, you have 30 seconds. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah. Um, so just to make sure that we are all on the same uh, wavelength, we don't want any human to die. Good. Okay. We're all the same. We're all going to end up in sand at the end, right? Do you agree with that? We'll end up where? We're all ending ending up the way we came into this world. Yeah. The same, no religion, nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we will all end up dying and going back to the ground, correct? Just yeah. different so, beliefs, what happens after. Well, I'm just saying, just the reason why I'm setting this stand is that we have to be very careful with our words. Because some people don't understand the same thing that what you're trying to say. They take a gun and go shoot a whole synagogue or a whole mosque because of things that are said on the radio. Yeah, so, I understand that. But what is your point? Because you're just kind of being vague and we're running out of time. So can you just say... My point is that there is a nine-month-old baby underground right now Yes, that might not be alive because someone decided on October 7th to go and take him and put him underground. What about what's it's, happening? What uh, about what's happening now after yeah, October 7th? Again, justifying the murder of children that are dying today and keeping using the excuse, well, October 7th, that is hypocritical. Uh, you sh we should all be against children dying on October 7th and children dying today. And if you can't get to that level, then that's hypocrisy and double standards. Uh, we're out of time. NPR News is next. WMNF Tampa.